to be teaching this class. How many of you have ever had a class with Randall Wilcher? And we're still back. And they're still back. That's right. And they're still back. Uh, you're right, Bob. I, I'm going to step up my game. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts to the land and the people of Israel and Palestine. Uh, but most importantly, that you would give us context to understand all the different villages and towns and cities where Jesus taught and lived among us. Uh, help us to be infused with the sense of hope and purpose that he was. And God, I pray that you use our time um, in this hour to help us to get to know each other better, to ask big and important questions, and to think deeply about our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so my actual natural habitat is more this environment. Um, and I'll, I'll talk more about that as we go through the semester. Um, I think, yeah, Kara's here. So I always have to check to see if my wife is in this class. Uh, that changes the stories, I can tell. Um, but Randall and I got to experience Israel together. Randall's been twice now. I've only been once. And through our conversations, we had this kind of vision or dream that every other year we want to offer a spiritual pilgrimage. It's not a trip. It's definitely a pilgrimage to Israel. So part of what we thought we would do this fall is to go into full recruiting mode. Now, that's a, that's a byproduct of this. But we want to share with you some of what we've been reading and thinking. Um, for those of you who are in the class that was offered this summer, this has a different emphasis, but you will see uh, some similar... Um, the class that was about Israel and Palestine. How many of you were in that class this summer? Okay, a couple, of, a few of you. Um, this class has a different purpose or a different focus. So what I want to do is kind of set the parameters. Randall's going to give you a little bit of an overview, but I want to set the parameters for why this kind of conversation is important and why um, many of us uh, did not have a real historical appreciation for Christianity until much older in life. One of the things I do at Lipscomb, even in my Intro to Jesus classes, is I try to make sure that they know when you worship Jesus, it's not the same thing as believing in Santa Claus. Now, I know that may sound silly for some of you, but I've had many counseling sessions over the last seven or eight years with people who essentially come to this existential moment where they're like, I don't know if Jesus is any more real than Santa Claus. And that's a real part of some people's faith journey. So what I want to do in this, uh, over the next several weeks with Randall, is to put Jesus back into his historical context so that we can appreciate um, all that he did, sociologically, theologically, and in terms of the church. Uh, and I think it will give us a deeper appreciation for our own faith. So I'm going to go a little bit old school I thought I was going to have a big board in here. I should have come up here to look and see. But I want to put together kind of the first century context of some certain events that will help you to see uh, there's a really big gap. And the gap is where historians and, and atheists and agnostics and even believers go and debate a lot about the historical nature of Jesus. Uh, how much did Jesus really say? Those kinds of questions. What did he really do? So most of us grew up learning that Jesus was born at zero. Okay, you know the calendars were changed after the fact. Are you with me? So when Jesus was born, it wasn't like people in the Roman Empire were saying 
in the year of zero. Okay, they were on a different calendar system. So the best we can tell, and you and I haven't talked about this, but the best we can tell, Jesus probably was born between what we would call now 6 and 4 BC. So it can be a little bit confusing. It's kind of like positives and negatives uh, when you're adding and, and subtracting and dividing. But if you think about zero, Jesus' birth, um, it was December 25th, yeah. That's right. Don't mess with Christmas. I learned that a long time ago. Just, yes. Thank you, Kel. Um, okay, so Jesus is born between 6 and 4 B.C. Okay, so we're on this side of the line. The Gospel of John, which is one of my favorite books in the New Testament, is probably the latest text added uh, to the, what we now call the canon. Um, we should probably do some stuff on that this semester, how we got the Bible and how that factors into this timeline. So the Gospel of John is between 90 and 100. So if Jesus is born between 6 and 4, he dies uh, 27 to 29 A.D., You'll see it now, like if you're reading Time Magazine, you'll see it now as uh, not AD, BC and AD, but you'll see Common Era and Before Common Era. Does that look familiar? All that is is AD and BC, okay? Now the irony is it's supposed to be more politically correct, but you're still dating it by Jesus' life. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Microsoft still, you're dating everything by Jesus' birth and death. So, Paul's letters then begin to circulate late 40s to late 50s. Gospel of Mark is probably 60. And some of Paul's were a little bit later, and we can debate that as we go. Matthew and Luke are 70 to 85, and then John is 95. Now, 27 and 29, death, resurrection of Jesus. 95, that's a long time. So one of the most important things to know when you're dealing with the historicity of Jesus is something in New Testament scholarship called the oral tradition. Okay? How many of you have ever been to Africa? Africa still today, in many ways, runs on the spoken word. Um, now, they're, they're becoming much more of a, a literate society, but the way that books and narrative impacted the Western Hemisphere is not nearly the same in Africa. In Africa, everything is preserved through the oral tradition or the power of memory and storytelling. So Westerners hear oral tradition, and we think, it's kind of weak, isn't it? Like, it's not true unless it's in like an encyclopedia or as my grandfather would say it's not true unless it's on the internet right like Westerners we think you have to see it in print in order for it to be true that's why we esteem people who write books like well they have it in print so it must be true right unless it's the Da Vinci Code and that's in the fiction section so that's a different animal right so you have the life death a burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the birth of the church, 
the stories are preserved, and there's all kinds of theories about how these stories are preserved, but over the course of a generation and two generations, the, these Gospels are solidified, and then over the next two th 200 years after that, we have what's called the formation of the canon, or the, what we have is the Bible now, 66 books. So one of the things that I love about um, delving into the history of Jesus is we get to look very closely at what was happening in the first century world, not just in Jesus' life, but in the life of the early church. Next week in both services, I'm going to talk about Caesarea, this port city, which is incredible, and it's a crossing city where Paul, according to Acts, travels through, and it's the only way that Paul is able to get to Rome, and then eventually the church spreads to all over the world. So Jesus, in his life, never travels outside of a region larger than New Jersey. Randall, how big did you say Israel is compared to Middle Tennessee? Middle Tennessee is 17,000 square miles, and um, uh, Israel is 8,000. And population? 8 million. Uh, Middle Tennessee, 2.5. 2.58 million in Israel. Okay, so Jesus stays in this tiny part of Israel, and then over the course of the next 80 years, Christianity just starts to explode. Now, it really explodes a couple centuries later, but early on. So when people wrestle with their faith, what I always do is I take it out of the philosophical, because what happens in the philosophical is we argue what we wanted to argue. We just find creative ways. What I try and do is to take people to the actual time in which something happened, something started. And all of these people who were the early Christians had almost nothing to gain by believing in Jesus. Are you with me? Meaning most of the people who believed in Jesus at first, their lives got harder, not easier. So it's not like kind of in some cultures today where it's like, oh, you're running for office? Which church do you go to? It wasn't like an add-on. It was a clear break. If you were going to break from Orthodox Judaism, it's as radical as if you were Christian today and you decided you were going to become Muslim. It was for, in some parts of the world, it was that radical. So uh, Paul Jankowski asked me a great question when we walked in. What you see in this period right here, between 65 and 95, is you see Judaism and Christianity really start to split. Um, early on, Christianity isn't viewed as a new religion, right? It's just one sect within Judaism. That's why they worship at the temple, they pray in the temple, they study in the temple. That's why there's evidence that early Christians for at least the first 40 years after Jesus' death were part of the synagogue. It wasn't like Christians on the left, Jews on the right. It was, they were all Jews. Some believed Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Some didn't, but that didn't mean they were going to leave their Judaism. Let me give you an example of that. In Ann Arbor today, there is a church led by a rabbi named Mark Kinzer. This is where the University of Michigan is. In their church, this is controversial. In their church, they have Orthodox Jews who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. Um, they have Orthodox Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah, not Jews for Jesus. That's, that's a different ilk. That, those are like evangelical, you know what I'm saying? They're like real Jews 
who in every way are still Jewish, but believe Jesus is Messiah. Uh, Apostle Paul. Right? Apostle Paul never left his Jewishness behind. He allowed Jesus to reinterpret it, which we'll talk about as we go. So in this church, they have Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Jews who follow Jesus, and they have Gentiles who follow Jesus who have no real connection. And I asked them one time, I said, why, why do you... Why is your church so weird? Like, you, you think Otter Creek is diverse, right? Can you imagine if we had that makeup? And he said that he found it was one of the most remarkable witnesses to people about the real power of Jesus that they would still be welcoming of all of Jesus' people. Now, he's not a universalist. He's not saying, well, they just get in. He's not saying that at all. But he is saying, if you grow up in that church and you're Orthodox Jewish and you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, on the day of judgment, when Jesus appears, all of his Orthodox Jewish friends will have 50 years of conversation to recognize in that moment, you know what? He really was the Messiah. Because that's the real difference between Jews and Christians. Christians believe that the Messiah has come and is coming. Jews simply believe he hasn't come yet. Are you with me? So what happens in this split, and the Gospel of John probably names it clearest, what happens in this split is people are forced to choose sides. Now part of that's because of what happens in Rome in 49. It's a whole story about this is before Nero went crazy. Um, but uh, Christians are blamed for a fire in Rome. And, and then there's all these other events that happen in Rome that cause this real friction between what we would call Orthodox Jews and Christians. But as the split happens, as the chasm happens, Christianity has to go back, Christians, in the oral tradition, uh, and they have to ask themselves what's most important. That's a huge context for most of Paul's letters. Philippians, Galatians for sure, Romans, uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, which is really 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. Um, so there's this kind of undergirding foundation to the whole thing that when you just pick up your Bible and just start reading, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord, sent by one to... He is part of this hot mess of trying to figure out how do you stay true to Jesus, still love Jesus' people who don't believe in Jesus, but exist for all these other people who have never even heard, Gentiles, of which most of us claim identity. Um, so, now Randall is going to definitively put all this together. Um, oh, Paul's question. Go, Randall, you can come up here. Paul's question is, when did anti-Semitism become normative? Is that a fair way to say? Yeah. So I, I, that's actually a great question. I, I will ask some of my Jewish friends this week what they would say because I would always trust their answer to my answer. I would, I would challenge us to think in terms of waves or cycles. The Jews in the Old Testament are always a minority. Even, even at King David's apex, they were still a minority in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I think you see tension in the Gospel of John between Jews, the Jews they're called in John, and Jewish believers. The destruction of Jerusalem happens in 69, 70 AD, which will be a big, a big deal for politics today, for how you read the New Testament. Jerusalem is destroyed in 70. 
uh, Judaism goes from being a temple-centered religion to being synagogue-centric. Because there's no temple. There's still no temple today. Right? Um, and Israel could have built a temple in the 60s. That's what's crazy. They actually had the Temple Mount. The 1960s. 1960s, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. 20, yeah. And, the ra- and the rabbis told them. The rabbis and told them. living in that time. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, you guys will not believe this. <laughs> yeah, Israel had the Temple Mount. They could have gone back and the rabbis said, you can't do it by blood. You can't do it by blood. You can't do it by force. Now, you can imagine, especially secular Israeli Jews, they are still irate about that because it's Dome of the Rock now. It's controlled by Muslims. And there's some crazy stuff happening underneath the Dome of the Rock. So I would say think in terms of waves. This is a big wave. But I think, historically speaking, the most significant is the Protestant Reformation. Um, And this is going to be hard for some to hear. But Martin Luther, at his core, was anti-Semitic. He wrote a book called Against the Jews. Um, and it's not like a tricky translation. Like the book in German is called Against the Jews. And a lot of theologians, and Martin Luther did some incredible things. Just like a, a racist preacher 100 years ago could have cared for orphans, right? And you could say, well, how could he have cared for orphans but been racist? Welcome to humanity, Right? So Martin Luther planted the seeds, many believe, for the Third Reich to flourish in Nazi Germany. Um, I didn't intend to go this, but you asked such a great question. The German Lutheran Church was the dominant church of Germany in the early 1900s. You can go in in the uh, Holocaust Museum in D.C., in Jerusalem, they have captured all these photographs in German churches where they took the the swastika, the main symbol of the Third Reich, in German churches and laid it over their pulpits. That's why I get nervous when people want flags in the... It's not even because of the people who want the flag. I just get nervous because of what happened in Germany. So many people believe that when Martin Luther, towards the end of his life, wrote against the Jews, he actually has some material in that book which suggests if Jews do not accept Jesus, it's okay to kill them. Again, this is com- you can go and read it. Um, so, so many theologians have traced from Barman Declaration, which was the resistance against Hitler, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's become really famous now, um, that, that Luther's inherent anti-Semitism and his anger towards Jews is what laid the foundation, not just for the Holocaust, but general anti-Semitism all over Europe, and then obviously in the United States. Yeah, it is a fascinating. It's gonna become very apparent to you uh, which one of us has a PhD, (coughs) real quick. How how many of you grew up in a church where the preacher uh, sat down from the sermon, took five minutes to go, oh yeah, thank you. took five minutes to go get water and then uh, got up and taught the Sunday school class. I did. I did. I did too. Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm just thinking. Those I, were real preachers. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's great. Uh, let, me, let me say something to, to that question real quick. That's, that's something I want to know the answer to. And going to Israel won't solve that. 
you're just going to have a deeper, you're going to go, why in the world is this small population of people all over the world, why are they so hated? It's, I can't figure it out. I can't get it. So uh, that's my two cents worth. Um, I want to just kind of peruse real quickly and I, I, uh, through, through some pictures that I've, I've put together just kind of to help you a little bit, just what is so unique about Jesus? What I loved about what I love about what Josh did with the timeline deal is one of the things we're going to be asking, one of the deep questions we're going to be asking is, why would God not send Jesus to us today? If he wants to evangelize the whole world, if he wants to change the whole world for his son, why would Jesus not hit the earth today? With Twitter, with the internet, with uh, television, why was this time the best time in the history of the world to send his son to do the mission that he sent him to do. So that's part of part of uh, what we're going to look at. Each one of the towns that uh, we're going to talk about, we have 14 weeks, and each one of the towns that we're going to talk about has a different story. And how that story connects with the story is kind of where we're going to go this, this, uh, this, this semester. Um, I, I hope to give you, and you may glaze over at this, I hope to give you some bit of a geological, uh, ge geographical familiarity with Israel because it is a very, very unique place. Um, also, the miracle of Israel itself. Why, why that uh, small race of people has such an effect on the world? It's just, it's, it's a cra it's craziness. Um, and then we're also going to spend a little bit of time in archaeology because the archaeology of Israel is incredible. Any one given time there's anywhere from 70 to 100 archaeological digs that you can go online today and participate in if you want to. I'm not, I'm not talking uh, financially. I'm talking about you can actually say, I want to go dig at Ascalon, and uh, they'll give you the dates when you're supposed to show up, and you can go do it. Uh, and it's fascinating what they're finding. Uh, Dell and I went in 2013, and then uh, we went back this summer, and just the archaeological stuff. After you come back from Israel, do you read everything Israel in the newspaper? Pretty much, you just you're eating up with it. You just got you know. I've got a friend that went uh, in 2013. He reads the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and the Jerusalem Post every morning. That because you're fascinated. You want to know how do they do this? It's fascinating. Um, I am not. A Zionist. Does anybody know what that means? A Zionist is someone who believes that Israel has a biblical right to the land. That uh, that you even go into the end times to eschatology, and that eschatologically uh, Israel is going to take back the land, and that's where the final battle. I am not a Zionist. I'm not a Zionist, but I do believe that the people of Israel have a right to exist. I didn't do anything about the Balfour. I didn't do that. They, they live there. That's, that's what happens. They, they live there. And I do know, I, I was in all of the uh, classes, the Palestinian conflict. I love the McCrays. Um, Rob McCray and I went to graduate school together. Uh, David McCray and, Zona, and uh, Joni uh, attended Otter Creek while he was in medical school at Vanderbilt. Uh, 
Dr. John, when I when I uh, first came to Otter Creek, Dr. John had taught, uh, had been the preacher. He was a teacher at Lipscomb. He was a preacher at Otter Creek from about 67 to 69. And uh, it became unbearable for him to uh, remain at Lipscomb because uh, that was during the racial deal and Dr. John was very outspoken. And so he went and spent his whole life as a tenured professor at Wheaton. Um, he's a Paul, uh, Paul person, has written commentary. He's, they're brilliant people, I say all that to say that. Uh, Michael, I, I appreciate his heart. I loved that class. The one thing I kept hearing out of that class every Sunday, somebody would come up to me and they would say, I'd give anything if we could see a panel discussion against Michael and then somebody that knew how to defend Israel. Well, I'm not that guy. I'm not that, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't, and so it's a dilemma for me, but I do know how I feel. And uh, I hope that that somehow uh, comes out. Uh, Israel today, uh, as Josh has, is um, very small. It's about half the size of Middle Tennessee. It's 270 miles long, 32 miles wide at its shortest distance, 32 miles wide, and 85 miles wide at its largest distance. So it's just not big. Uh, from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River, from Hebron, the Mount, Hebron to the Negev, the desert, which literally goes beyond here. Um, that's how big Israel is. Let's look at some of these slides if my thing will work. Whoa, 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 whoa. Never done this before. Bought this yesterday. It's a pretty cool toy. <clears throat> uh, this is Israel as it exists today. Um, from Hebron up here to the Negev, from the Mediterranean to the Jordan. And then you see the parts that were carved out in 1948. This is the West Bank, anything west of the Jordan River and the Gaza Strip. It's interesting that Israel has never... Why don't I do that? I got one of these things. Cool. Um, I'm just learning. These toys are great. What a, uh, Israel has never owned the Gaza Strip. As a matter of fact, when... Um, when Jacob bequeathed all this property to his sons, he gave uh, the tribe of Dan, Ashdod, and Ascalon with the hopes that they would take the Gaza. Who is the most famous Danite? Who? Who? Samson. Samson was the most famous Danite. That's a Harding grad where they teach. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> Samson was the most famous Danite. Remember when he, when he took the um, walls of Gaza and carried them to Hebron? Amazing. All right. So this is, this is Israel as it, is, as it stands today. I just want to take you through and just show you a few pictures of Israel. This is Mount Hula, I mean, uh, Lake Hula. That's Mount Hebron in the background with snow on it. This is the Judean wilderness. Uh, that's a little girl in the Judean wilderness. This is the, Jor the mighty Jordan River. Another picture of the Jordan. It, it is. Crossing the stream. There we go. This is Jerusalem from the eastern slope. We're actually, sta we're actually standing on the Mount of Olives. Uh, overlooking, this is the temple walls, the temple mount area. When Jesus was alive, the Temple Mount, that's not 
true. When Solomon built the Temple Mount, it was three acres. Uh, uh, Herod the Great expanded it to 13 acres. Dome of the Rock is over here. Um, I'll give you some more pictures of that. Here's Dome of the Rock. You see that same wall that I was showing you uh, is going there. Where? Those are Christian graves. Yeah, they're Jewish graves. Yeah, that, that's the one thing I asked David McRae. How, how do I get buried there? Because here's the deal about that. Um, the deal about let's let's just keep going. I've got some more pictures of the graves. This is the Mount of Olives. These, this is a R Russian Orthodox church. They're, you know, the the bad thing about Israel today is they built churches of everything that is cool. So you can't see. Yes. I, I don't understand it. The geographical boundaries. Oh no no no! That shifts weekly. That shifts with. No, it's it. I mean, eighty within eighty percent of what you would know in the New Testament is, is roughly like in your Bible, in your concordance in your Bible, it will show you Israel in the first century. If your Bible doesn't have it, get a different Bible. Uh, but it's within eighty percent of what we have today. I'll, I'll actually show you a slide here in just a minute that shows you biblical Israel, because it, it included Transjordan, uh, Transjordan, which is not yeah, okay. Uh, these are more gra the graves now. The, here's here's an interesting fact. You can you can know where you are. Why do I need that? Um, you can know where you are by the graves because the graves are on the east in Ezekiel ten. God left the building. I don't know whether to stand up or sit. God, God, God left the building. Up, down, up, down. Uh, God left the building. Uh, God left the temple. And so he left, if you'll read, he left on the east. He walked out. His spirit left through the east. Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, is going to come from the east. So all the Jews want to be buried on the eastern slope of the Kidron Valley. This is the Kidron Valley right down at Brook Kidron. Um, and they want to be buried on the east so when Mashiach comes, they will raise first. Most Christian cemeteries today face the east. I didn't know that. You just, all, you're going to have a no, bunch no, of no, trivia. When you, the most expensive burial plots in Christian cemeteries face the east. Well, I'll say this. You can't get in there. <laughs> it, it would take a lot more money than you and I got. I, matter of fact, Oscar Schindler is buried... Well, he's buried right up there somewhere. That you got to got to do a bunch of great things to get buried there. Um, okay, this is the uh, Jezreel Valley from the top of Mount Carmel. Anybody know what the Jezreel Valley what that means? Okay, the uh, Harmageddon is back in this area right here. The the Tel Megiddo. Let me tell you what a Tel is. A Tel is where a civilization lived. And then something happened to that civilization, and they got killed. So they built another, that was such a strategic location, they built another civilization on top of that civilization. Then that civilization got killed. And at Tel Megiddo, there were 17, they found 17 civilizations that live on this mountain, which is called Har, Mount Har Megiddo, and it overlooks the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley is one of the most fertile valleys in all of Israel. Um, vegetables, um, fruits, nuts, bananas, they ship and sell to Europe. They're one of the primary 
uh, sellers of that kind of stuff to Europe today. Israel has mastered uh, gardening. But if you think there's a battle going to happen on Jezreel, you see this right here? That's an F-15 fighter base. <laughs> you don't see any hangars. There's no hangars. There's no buildings because it's all underground. You can sit there on top of Carmel and you can watch an F-15 just come up out of the ground and go whoosh, and he's gone. Yes, there's not going to be a battle there. All right. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the statue to Elijah Carmel. Uh, this is Nazareth. That's just a church on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's actually a monastery. This is the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is about 30 miles long, seven miles wide, some places three miles. This uh, mount right there is my favorite place in all of Israel. That's Mount Arbel. I'll tell you about that when we get there. Here's a, uh, um, well, help me, olive tree. This is an olive tree. This is actually in, in uh, Gethsemane. Uh, and some of these olive trees, I'm not going to say they're 2,000 years old, but olive trees never, never die, really. What happens is they get struck by lightning, they get torn to the ground, and then I will raise up a root from the stump of Jesse. That's what he's talking about. The olive trees never die. The root system remains intact. Some of these trees have been there for a long time. I'm not going to say that. Uh, you know, in Israel, there are A sites, there are B sites, and then C sites. The A site is you can really pretty much say this is where it happened. The B sites, not so much. The C sites, they just want your money. Just want your money. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Um, okay. Uh, this is the Wailing Wall. I he heard this morning that the, there's a proposal in the United Nations to rename this after Muhammad's horse that's going through the uh, that's going through and see the only claim that Islam has to the Temple Mount is that's where Muhammad ascended into heaven and so it's a big push in the United Nations now to rename that for Muhammad's horse normally these cracks are filled with prayers yes yes yeah yeah exactly yeah and we say the same thing. Yeah. You see these things outside the bus all over the place. These are, temp these are tombs. This is a, a hewn into the rock, which is exactly the way Jesus would have, would have had it. Same thing there. This is uh, Caesarea Maritima, which is what you're talking about next week, which is what we're talking about next week. So we'll have competing. This is good. Okay. That's Caesarea Maritima. That's, this is a palace built by Herod the Great. It's incredible. I'll tell you about it next week. Mount Hermon. You see the snow. Ski slope. <laughs> That's just how I had to throw that in there. It was great. This is in Getty, which is down by the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, one of the driest places on earth. Um, and um, that water is just coming out of a rock. Uh, it's mentioned in uh, David's conquests. Um, it's all, this is Dead Sea. Dead Sea. That's outside my hotel room in the Dead Sea. That's where he got a pedicure. <laughs> no, you got <laughs> Bob got a pedicure. Uh, this is uh, Beth Sheen, which shows you the Greek and Roman influence. Uh, it, you know, this is actually where Saul and Jonathan's uh, bodies were hung. 
uh, after they were killed. But the, the archaeology there is incredible. Uh, this is in Nazareth. Notice the olive trees. Uh, this is actually staged. This is in a, a, a walk through Nazareth. You have to pay to get in. It's pretty cool. Mike, Mike Huckabee, uh, Governor Huckabee, is on the board of this, this deal. Uh, this one... <laughs> it's a it's a D. <laughs> hey, but what it, what they've done? They have built. Uh, they they've done everything for us because they actually show us what it looks like. What a, a synagogue look a real synagogue a fully functional synagogue. They've they've spent some money and they've re it's really a good good deal. Bob, tell us what this is. <laughs> this this is a. You know, we stayed, our, our, this last trip, we spent four nights in Syria, um, in, uh, in the Golan Heights, which everybody still recognizes as Syria, but Israel's not going to give it back. Um, and we were having a devotional in a place called Valley of the Tears. There's uh, tanks from the 67 War that have been, and we're looking at this town. This is a, uh, Mus a Muslim town in Syria of about 50,000 people. There are currently only 5,000 people there. And while we were doing it, well, there's 5,000 people and ISIS. And while we're having our devotional, a big plume of smoke comes up over here. You hear concussion, concussion grenades, and you hear bullets going off. And it was really, it really took you back because people were dying right there at that, at that time. Uh, that's just the Jordan River Valley with all the palm trees. You just killed our entire trip. Let's go back to this because you let's see that. Let's go back to this. You see this mountain right there? You see this mountain? There's an Israeli outpost right there, and they're watching not only us and them. And I promise you, there's nothing going to get between that. It's not going to happen. Um, okay, these are mosaics, and Josh just made What time is it? I don't even have to. You're good, you're good. Uh, uh, these are mosaics, and that actually this is found in a little town called Magdala, uh, which in 2013, this had not been found. Our guide said, um, well, that's a shopping center right there, and they're, they're doing another shopping center, but they hit some, hit some archaeological stuff. So, okay, we go back this next time, and they have uncovered some of the most incredible archaeological, this is one of the most incredible archaeological finds in the last thousand years. This is a replica of the temple built like a Moses seat. Built like a Moses seat. And it's got, I forgot all the, I'll, I'll, when we get to that, I'll tell you what it has. But it's fascinating. And they just found that within the last three years. Uh, more uh, plaster, you can see the colors. That's actually from Masada. You can see the colors and the way they, they built everything. More mosaics. But those mosaics, um, there's a, a project called the Temple Mount Project. It started in 1999 because Islam, I'm not going to say anything bad about Islam, Islam, because of their belief that God is great and he is a monotheistic God, he is the only God, they do not tolerate, tolerate anything that would say there's another God. Okay? So when they when Israel allowed them to keep the Temple Mount and uh, they have been digging underneath the Temple Mount 
and they, they take these big trucks out at night, at midnight, and they go dump them in the Kidron Valley. And just this week, uh, they, they found a coin dated 56 AD that had Nero's picture, a solid gold coin, in that sifted junk. Like they dumped this dirt out at night, and there is a whole group of people called, and you can go donate online, a whole group of people called the Israeli Temple Mount Sifting Project. And they have come up with enough tiles now, they have built uh, actual, the floors of the Temple Mount. Uh, it's in the Israeli Antiquities place, but it's the literal floors that Jesus would have walked on 2,000 years ago. It's fascinating. They, and Israel has done this all in 60 years, since 1948 when they got the land back. Okay, this is, um, there was a question, I forget what I was going to... Borders. Oh, borders, okay, that doesn't show it. But there, here's, a, here's another orientation that's really fascinating. This is a sea, the Mediterranean Sea. This is the lowlands. This is the Shephelah, which is literally the foothills. Then you go up to Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem. Everyone that goes up to Jerusalem goes to worship. I'm going up to Jerusalem, going to worship. Uh, about 2,500 square feet, and then it falls off. This is the Jericho Road. On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. Nobody will tell me why. Um, <laughs> but must be. I don't, you go down to Jericho, notice you're at negative 825. It's below sea level. This Exactly. Exactly. The Sea of Galilee is 625 feet. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth. All this, now, now try to grasp, grasp all of this in an area half the size of Middle Tennessee. We got snow, we got the ocean, we got below sea level. It's a fascinating place. Um, this does not show it. This shows it. The 12 tribes. This shows where, where they're given Simeon. Remember I told you Dan, Ephraim, Manasseh, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, uh, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. Uh, this is the area of the Moabites. This today is modern Jordan. This today is modern Syria. This is today is modern Lebanon. Okay? That's surrounded and they go all the way down to now to hear they captured this in the 67 war. If it weren't for that, we wouldn't have Masada. We would have, no one in Egypt had Masada. There was no excavations in Masada prior to the 67 war. None of this. Um, okay, I'm done except for this. Are we okay on time? Okay. Well, this is what we, what we intend to look at and when we intend to look at them. And hopefully... Uh, Josh can give you the theological implications. Next week we will open our Bible. This is the first uh, class I've ever taught that I didn't open my Bible. It bothers me. We're going to open our Bible next week. Caesarea. We were mad too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can see we're going to spend some time in... Oh, what did I do? We're going to spend some time in Jerusalem. Um, all these other places. We'll just have comments and try to weave them into the story. Any questions while Josh is still here? The other thing I would add, too, is the front of the bulletin today, 
we built a website for the pilgrimage in 2019. So if you want to read all about questions, costs, where would we go, uh, Lee Camp is going to be part of the teaching on that trip with myself and Randall. Um, and we are talking about um, adding a Palestinian element to the trip so that uh, there's multiple stories being told. But we also have the best guide in Israel. Best guide in is incredible. The high priest of guides. Cohen, Ronnie Cohen. Cohen means high priest, so he's the high priest of guides. Questions? I'm not sure that you can pinpoint that. That's one of the places that Helena didn't build a church over. Um, when Constantine uh, told his mother to go buy up all the Christian sites, uh, uh, they didn't build a, a church over there. Her uh, John the Baptist was killed at uh, over on on the Jordan side. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Transjordan was. As a matter of fact, go. As a matter of fact, if you go to Jerusalem, I just took my deal out. But if you go to Jerusalem, remember when Jesus deliberately went through Samaria, that was not customary. You would go on the other side of Jordan because they didn't like Samaritans. Right. Yes. Who? It said fifty. You know, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, they're, they're translating the, the Roman, the, the Greek Roman. I mean, the, Ju the Julian calendar was based on Jesus, was it not? We'll get back to you on that. <laughs> we'll find the answer to that for sure. Yeah. Anybody else? Adios. Thank you. <clears throat>
Yeah. Hey, Josh. Okay. He. These are Jennifer's parents yeah, from Nova Sabirsk. Jennifer. From Abu Dhabi? Knows that and okay. our son James. The first time we met, they connected that. I, that is amazing. I forgot. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, and she said, y'all got to go to Woodmont, and she talked about him. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I'll talk to him. Yeah. I know he's a busy man. Yeah. But I, this meant I, I just wanted to share my journey, so I made uh, personal videos. And... I have showed them to churches and different mm-hmm. small groups, and I've been recruit people. And it's a beautiful videos. It's music. It's got every sight you want to see. Mm-hmm. It's about a 20-minute video. I would love to show you mm-hmm. and Josh because I think you'd like want to show it to yeah. other people because people have said, I never wanted to go to Holy Land until I saw your, right. your video. Right. So I want to tell you, yeah. I really want to have Can you. Can you send it to me? Oh, uh, but I would like yeah. us to have you in our home if you could. And it, we're just an apartment in yeah. Blue Springs. Have you and Josh in a couple of, because we have a small apartment. We have a big screen TV. Yeah. And it shows up so good on that big screen. But it's music. Yeah. It's got it's got our ministry with the children. We go to the hospitals and minister mm-hmm. to these disabled children. It's got, I mean, it's got everything. <laughs> every scene, every work. That's home. amazing. You know, it's got all the people. Uh, Anyway, we'll talk to you yeah, later. I'd we'll love be to. here next yeah. week. What is um, you, somebody had referenced Moses' seat, or there was a picture of it. So what yeah. is what is Moses' seat? Moses' seat is where the in every synagogue they would have had a Moses seat. You'll see it better at Chorazim. The only one we've ever, the only one archaeologically they've ever found was at Chorazim, which is one of the places where Jesus. And well, what's the significance? I mean, what that's is, where the rabbi would sit. Ah, the rabbi. And, and then you Google Moses' seat, yeah. you'll see all through Scripture, I come before Moses to seek mercy at Moses at the seat of Moses. It's amazing. Yeah. Good morning. You're welcome. I said, I want to go in that class. I want to hear what they have to say about all of this. It may be the only way I'll get there. But I said, I want there to be some Bible. Yeah, well, that's. There is. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's, it's going to have to be. Yeah, well, it matters. Yeah, it does. I mean, we can't know about all of this without the Word. Right. So, right. I just really appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I went five, I've been five years. Three years.